Welcome to The Buyer's Desk, an infra podcast. We'll guide you through quick snapshots on infra trends and insights, interviews with member store buyers and brand founders, and we have curated segments from infra staff. Hey folks, and thanks for joining us on another episode of The Buyer's Desk. I am Chris Sorensen, Promotions Program Manager. And I'm Angela Bozo, Director of Member Programs, and we are your hosts. And we are back, and today we are talking about diversity in natural foods. So, Angela, we all know that focusing on diversity is important from an inclusivity perspective, but it also enhances creativity, it provides different perspectives, and ultimately leads towards better decision-making. So that's all really important to consider as we get into these conversations today. For Retail Talk, I'm joined by Nina, Marketing Manager at Infra, Kim, Category Manager at Infra, and we discuss how to create a more inclusive environment in our stores through making better decisions in our product assortment and to meet the needs of our communities and so much more. And I also sat down with Ibrahim Basir of A Dozen Cousins to talk about his brand and the work he's doing with Project Potla. This month, I had the pleasure of talking to Ernest Flowers of Ernest Foods, who had a really great story about like basically opening a grocery store in a neighborhood that needed a grocery store. Um, I, of course, kick off that in that interview being that incredulous, like, so you weren't in grocery and now you're in grocery. Like, tell me all about that. And I just his story of like meeting his community where they are is fantastic. We also have another amazing segment from our resident spins expert, Jim Olson, who just like every month amazes me with the sheer density of product information in his short three minutes, highlighting some great brand stories and some skews that are really killing it in the infra channel. Heck yeah. But first, we're going to hear from Eddie at Hella Cocktail, a BIPOC owned brand to tell their story. Hi, I'm Eddie Simeon, co-founder of Hella Cocktail Co. At Hella, we believe that people always want to feel invited to the party, yet sometimes don't feel 100% themselves in the celebration. That's why we call ourselves experimentors. We serve elevated cocktail choices across the imbibing spectrum. So whether you're drinking full strength, half strength, or alcohol-free cocktails, we can meet you where you want to be in the party. Our mission is to inspire confidence in the hella curious among us so that they can bring their authentic selves to the table. For example, we launched a first of its kind beverage called Bitters and Soda. Bitters builds upon the heritage of traditional cocktail bitters and has turned it into a daily use beverage without alcohol, so you can drink it instead of beer, wine, or spirits. If you want to learn more, visit us on our website, helicocktail.co, or on social media, at helicocktailco. Thanks so much. We look forward to seeing you there. Hello, I'm Jim Olson, SPIN's Retail Insights Manager for Infra, here with a rundown of what's happening on the data side of the natural foods industry. Coming out of this year's Expo West, one of the biggest product trends SPIN saw was the embrace of globally inspired flavors in everyday cuisine. This adoption of culturally specific products also opened the door for more BIPOC-owned brands, of which this industry is in great need. While 27% of the natural and organic consumer base is made up of BIPOC shoppers, only 2% of industry leadership positions are held by BIPOC employees. The time is right to lean all the way in on this movement, too. A 2021 McKinsey survey showed more than two-thirds of consumers said their shopping choices are shaped by social values and Gen Z are 1.4 times more likely 
to say that inclusivity is one of the most important factors in their buying decisions. Furthermore, SPIN's data confirms that BIPOC-led brands are valuable beyond their societal benefits. For the most recent 52 weeks, Infra saw an 8% increase in sales from BIPOC-owned brands, driven by $1.2 million absolute growth, far outpacing the 1% growth seen by total Infra sales for the same period. Dry grocery sales made up 53% of Infra BIPOC dollars and contributed 68% of BIPOC growth. Emblematic of this momentum are staples like Siete, up 7% in Infra sales, and started by a Mexican-American family looking to retain cultural flavors while accommodating for dietary restrictions. And newer brands like Moonshot Snacks, a black-owned line of 100% climate-friendly crackers that saw a 61% sales increase at Infra. However, my favorite Infra-friendly BIPOC brand may have to be Pipcorn and their line of heirloom corn-based snacks. While it certainly helps that their sales are up 10% at Infra, the most impressive thing to me is that they dedicate a monthly section of their own website to highlight a different black entrepreneur in the natural food space. To recognize your platform's potential and hold the door open for the next generation of brands by amplifying awareness is truly praiseworthy. Infra was founded on the principle of making healthy food available for all people, BIPOC included. We need to continue supporting this movement and do our part as retailers, manufacturers, and decision makers to make a more equitable industry reflective of our customer base as well as our world. My thanks to New Hope Network, McKinsey Institute, and of course, Spins for the data points mentioned in this piece. I wish you a strong start to your summer. And as always, I'll see you at the show. And we're back on the buyer's desk. It's Angela Bozo sitting here with Ernest, owner of Ernest Foods, which can be located at the world's easiest address, 12301 Merrick Boulevard in Jamaica, New York. How are you doing today, Ernest? I am near perfect. Ah, I love that. Kick off our episode with like a big dose of positivity. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about your foray into grocery today. And I did tee up this interview just a little bit asking you if you had a grocery background. So you could take as much time as you would like, but tell me a little bit about how you went from not grocery to grocery. Well, in my neighborhood, I have some tremendous neighbors. You know, it's a middle class neighborhood, uh, but we all would not see each other for months at a time. You know, just the regular back and forth of life, daily life. Uh, but for some reason, we would always meet each other at Trader Joe's, which is about 25 minutes outside of our neighborhood. And so I was at the time working for our local state senator and we were trying to get Trader Joe's and Whole Foods to move into our area. We were unsuccessful. So, you know, what? I said, you know what, we'll start our own. It seems like this is what we want. And uh, the community has been very supportive. And here we are a year and a half later. I love that. You know, uh, Trader Joe's is an interesting example to me just from the perspective of I think Trader Joe's has this interesting kind of halo of being a little bit more natural. I dig what they do. I just think it's so funny that there are people that like go and are like, wait, that wasn't exactly what I was expecting having heard about Trader Joe's. That that wasn't organic. Yeah. But I love that. Okay. So we're, we're trying to attract like just better food, right? And you're unsuccessful. So you do it yourself. How many years ago was that? A year and a half, one year, five months. Yes. Whoa. All right. How's it going? It, it's It's been a challenge. You know, we're just coming out of the pandemic, but it was even more of a mission because the uh, pandemic hit my area 
uh, of the country and the state harder and first, actually, and harder than most any other area in the country. And so as we were coming out of that that episode, you know, we knew that, hey, we needed to have something natural and organic in our neighborhood. And we're the only one of its kind right now. Wow. Yeah. You know, 2020 was a, such a mixed bag year for grocery, right? We had like astonishing sales and we had all of these customer drivers that we thought were really important, like price and proximity that ended up not being the way that people shopped for a long time. So you are opening at the end of like, a, we're not sure really what consumers are doing anymore. Will you tell me a little bit about like, what do you see shopping wise? Uh, definitely. I see them getting back to a type of normal, but not exactly where we were in the past. There's a lot more online. People are coming back to coming in inside the store as well, where we uh, kind of meet the need as more of a personal touch uh, as far as, you know, calling them up on the phone, letting them know when we have new things. We have an extensive database and we make sure we stay in touch and, and, and get those orders and Make, make sure they feel a part of this whole process that we do. I love that because from your origin story, wanting to be a part of the community, the community connection, I, I believe as well, builds a loyalty. And you're, you're really speaking to two things that are like critically important societally, community and then good food, right? Tell me a little bit about, okay, so you're not in grocery, you know, you want to build this thing. What are you putting on the shelf? Like, tell me a little bit about your decision-making process when you go to to fill a shelf. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we want to be natural and organic. We want to be kind of somewhere in between that Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, a sector there. But we also have a thriving immigrant population that is about second and third generations and then there's there's other uh, immigrant populations that are coming into the area as well. So we make sure we're on top of culturally traditional foods that uh, are, are different segments of our population want. So we'll have, for instance, some of the rarest things you can get in the U.S. are mangoes from Jamaica West Indies. These are called Julie mangoes and East Indian mangoes. They don't come through the traditional routes. They have to go through Atlanta and get treated. Then they come up to JFK Airport. And we are one of the few entities in the entire city that get these mangoes. So any type of uh, unique or, or popular thing that we can put in our store, that flag to say, come on in, you know, we do. So it's mangoes are roughly in season right now. Are you getting them year round? Or are you getting them just seasonally? Well, we get the, the, the year round mangoes, many, you know, traditional outlets, but these are special. These this season just started. So they're called East Indian mangoes and Julie mangoes. We got about 100 boxes just last week and they're all gone. They're so, they're so sought after, especially now that unfortunately there's some turmoil going on in Haiti. So the Haitian mangoes aren't here. So the Jamaican mangoes are even more sought after. But that's just a way to get more people into the store. And once they get in the store and they see the, the, the other offerings we have on the shelves, you know, they're very happy and thankful that we're in the neighborhood. What is the primary way that you know that someone that you should be carrying that example or even like another less common ingredient example? Just basically the feedback from the customers. And uh, we always we have a suggestion box 
that anytime someone is interested in something, we make sure we get their name, their email, their phone number. You know, we ask them if, if this is something that you would want us to call you when it comes back in. That really lets us know, yes, we have a winner here. Uh, roughly how many things would you say you brought in based just on suggestions and talking to customers? Oh, my goodness. Way over 50. That's awesome. I just I love thinking about like what it really means to be a neighborhood market. Like you came into this feeling like you needed like a place for community. Then you invited the community in and then you put on the shelf exactly what the community wanted, which I just think is so amazing. You've learned a lot then about different cultural food. Almost certainly. Yeah. Are you eating differently than you did before you opened this store? I'm not eating too much differently, but I am trying more things. I'm a big fruits and vegetable guy, but uh, we have one local provider that does this jollof rice or this Kalaloo cook-up rice. And it's just interesting new things and uh, they're amazing. All right, shifting gears just a little bit. What would you say your overall, in terms of buying philosophy, like what, do you have a guiding principle? Do you have a paradigm you like? Do you like, tell me a little bit about how some of the more like staple items got on your shelves. Yeah. Well, our, our logo says earnest foods and, and our little motto on, in our logo is we're serious about your food. So we really want to translate that over to the customer to let them know that we really are intensely fervent about having the best possible natural and organic foods. And so we make sure that we're educated on the items that come in, the dietary restrictions. We have a huge population that are diabetic, so we make sure we have items that have zero sugar. Uh, we have populations that you know need things that are gluten-free. So we just make sure that we have something for every type of diet restriction, and we make sure that we're educated so we're able to talk to them. I think that's where, where we stand out from the traditional grocery store that you know, we actually carry on conversations and it's, it's really a community atmosphere when you come into the store. Oh, it's critically important. I feel so passionate about that. I feel so passionately that customer service is more than being friendly. It's actually being like we ask customers in our stores to make so many decisions and it's very hard to make decisions. And we know that you get decision making fatigue and yet you can go into a store and still find eight feet of peanut butter. Um, all right. If you could go back in time and tell yourself any piece of advice that you know now when you were then going to open your store, anything come to mind that you would you would want to make sure you knew then? Probably too much. I could write a book just on that. But one good thing that I did do is I hired a consultant. So I was coming from the political world. I was a small business director for my local state senator. So I, I, and I also had a business background before that. So I knew that I'm not going to be an expert and there are going to be many, many pitfalls and many mistakes that I'm going to make. So the only way that I can alleviate most of that is to hire a consultant as a professional in the industry. So I hired a consultant. So that helped me really overcome so many uh, mistakes that I would have made and then entities like Infra, entities like Kehi were so supportive. They helped me out a lot as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, I love that. You know, I think that just like speaking really specifically to Infra, you have, we have this culture of independent natural foods. And it is really fascinating to look at all the different origin stories. Like maybe we're all in a place where, you know, things are going well and our sets look a little similar, but we're in different locations. But the way that people 
got there is so different to me. I love the community story. I love the, I couldn't find the things I wanted to buy. So I just decided that I would open a store because so brave and also a little crazy because it's a, a huge endeavor, as you know. All right. So is there anything at all you want to just throw in about yourself, the store, your community, product buying, anything else at all to kind of wrap this up? Well, I just am so grateful to the infra community on a whole. And if I can be of service or help to anyone, you know, I'm here as well as I'm learning. I also have things in my background that might be able to help. You know, for instance, I, I lean heavy on things that maybe we don't think of traditionally as far as supports for grocery stores. So I, I really talk to all my elected officials, local, statewide, federal, if I can, to see if there's any resources that we can use to help us go forward. And then I speak to other corporations and entities to see if they will buy into the community mission that we have. And uh, just recently we received a grant from one of our local, our largest uh, cable operators, Spectrum, a $15,000 grant to give us free advertising on cable for three months. So if you're watching CNN or MSNBC in our area, our commercial pops up. That's awesome. I love like, like the overall vibe of that too, which is just like, you probably have resources in your area that you have not tapped into. And yeah, I love it. But I also love the the peer-to-peer support. I That is like 100% what we try to embody here. And it's always great to see people connect across across locales and even like, you know, same industry. So thank you so very much. I really appreciate your time today. And um, I would love to check in with you again in like another year and just see how it's going. Please. I look forward to that. Wonderful. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Angela, I really enjoyed hearing from Ernest. You know, it's so inspiring to hear that he took it upon himself to create access to natural foods in a community where it wasn't convenient. You know, people were driving, what, 25 minutes, um, which isn't a lot, but in our busy lives, that can really make or break. You know, someone like myself, I, I always want an organic option, but sometimes running to the closest grocery store is all we really have time for. So that's just amazing that he he did that, just opened the store. Yes, I continue to be just overall inspired by his story, right? How many people say, yeah, our community needs this and I'll do the work to actually bring this thing to our community. Like, sure, probably there's enough of us that try to make that happen. But then out of that group, when you, when something does not come to fruition, how many of them are like, okay, I'm quitting my job and I'm opening a grocery store. I just, I thought that was amazing. And then to your point about, you know, driving, you know, we've always felt like proximity was a very important factor in, in grocery store choice. So not right. only do you have people drive, but then I'm sorry, remind me how many SKUs did he say he brought in for people? 50, yeah, right? I'm over 50. Amazing. I, I, you know, and through mostly just talking to them as well. Like I had a, like a, maybe he's got this cool comment card box or what, but like, no, like his staff and, and I think him personally are like actually in the store, making sure that they're talking to customers and getting the customers what they need. And I would love to do a follow-up with him too, about like, yeah, we brought in things, but then I also think there were probably things on the shelf that he ended up, you know, changing out for just like even preferences because he, was there to support the community and like lived it. It was, yeah, it was inspirational to talk to him. Totally. And I, I, I bet it was to, to be in that conversation, but from listening to it, 
I mean, the thing that I really took away too was that importance on customer service, right? That he is there with that personal touch, I think is the word that he used. And you could hear that come through in how he talked about even, you know, providing those 50 products that people requested, which I think is super awesome. So yeah, I, I can't wait for that follow-up with Ernest. Absolutely. And honestly, just to check in with him and make sure that it's still going well. I believe that people that care that much are just going to continue to attract great things to them. And whether it's in the form of the specialty mango story or, you know, Mm. some amazing conversation he has with someone. And the next time we talk to him, he's opened a, you know, like a full service deli serving only this particular cuisine because he met this (laughs) fabulous woman in aisle two someday. Like, I'll believe it all at this point. Well, and you can tell how genuine he is because when you asked him, what else do you want to say? He offered up himself to, you know, other infra members of like, hey, if you want to check in with me, I have more to give. And to me, that that was like the symbol of this guy is a giver. Uh, great call out too to make that part of our follow up. Please tell me that somebody listening to that interview that takes him up on that offer. I would love to hear that story. Totally. Well, hey, next up is my conversation with Kim and Nina here at Infra on how we can engage our communities and rethink our assortment and make our stores more inclusive, maybe be more like Ernest, right? And representative of our neighborhood. Uh, But first, we're going to hear from Teresa from Bon Appa Suite, a BIPOC-owned brand, to tell their story. Hi, I'm Teresa, the founder of Bon Appa Suite. I founded Bon Appa Suite after a 14-month deployment away from my two-year-old daughter as a promise to her that I would never deploy away from her again. I set out to create a chocolate bar that had the taste that she loved with the ingredients that I did. In doing so, I created our chocolate bars that are sweetened using only dates. That means zero added sugars, zero sugar alcohols, zero stevia. Our bars are made using only two to five organic, non-GMO, dairy-free, vegan, and ethically sourced ingredients. As a mom, a naval officer, and an entrepreneur, I understand that time constraints make it impossible to scour the grocery store for healthy treats. That's why at Bon Appetit Sweet, we made it easy. And we also made it easy to fight for social justice. With every chocolate bar sold, we raise awareness about injustices that exist within our system. Please visit our website at bonapasuite.com where you can sign our petitions to fight for social justice and support our Black veteran and woman-owned brand. And find us on social media at Eat Bon Appetit. Thank you for your support. Hey folks, I'm here with Nina Brown, Marketing Manager, and Kim Rout, Category Manager, to talk about diversity in natural foods and how we can make our stores more inclusive. Welcome, Nina and Kim. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Hi, Chris. So happy to be here. Well, as a retailer, focusing on this topic can get complex. There's a lot to take in when learning how to achieve meaningful impact. So, Nina, let's start with you. From a marketing perspective, where can retailers start? Yeah, great question. I would say just really start by just doing the internal audit. Look at the demographics of your community, you know, whether that's at the zip code level, city, neighborhood, and then look at who's coming into your stores. And if you see that there is a gap between who's in your community and who you're actually seeing in your store, there's an opportunity to invite more folks in and drive more traffic. And then I would do some research, understand where are these people? uh, Are there community centers, events, et cetera, places where you can reach out and just drive awareness of your store existence and offerings and then provide solutions and options that would, you know, meet their meal planning and grocery needs. It's important to note that we are becoming a more and more diverse country every day. Currently, over 42% of Americans identify as multicultural. 
So if you're not seeing that reflected in your aisles, then you know that you're missing out on part of the population. So really just kind of understanding how you can meet their needs. And we also know that ethnic foods are among the fastest growing food categories. In 2019, it was, you know, almost $13 billion in sales and growing year over year. So there's also a demand for these types of offerings and products. You know, Nita, those are some really excellent statistics. As we heard from Jim earlier, looking at Black and Indigenous and people of color brands, infra sales of those products are up 8% over a year ago, both in dollars and units. If we want to break this down even further, the biggest drivers of this growth are in grocery, which is up 12%. Refrigerated is 16% and frozen 6%. So together... All those combined for a 12 million of the 16 million annual BIPOC sales at Imsra. I also have to do some category stats here. You know, I have all the fun brands. Salty Snacks are the number one driver of BIPOC sales growth at Infra. The category is up 19% with over $3 million in sales. Cookies and Sack Bars are the number four BIPOC sales at Infra, up 17%. So great brands like Prince of Peas, Chomps, A Dozen Cousins, Moonshot, Partake, and of course, Siete, all are showing some really great growth at Infra. And then in addition to all of those numbers and growth, and, you know, I think feel like the numbers speak loudly for themselves, but it's also important to remember the non-tangible effects um, that you can't really quantify, but... By promoting inclusivity and diversity, a store can create a welcoming environment that appeals to a wider customer base. So that in itself can lead to increased customer loyalty. Customers feel that the store values their cultural identity and dietary needs. And it just, you know, when we're thinking about what brought us all to this industry, wanting to have a, a greater impact on just the health of, you know, whether it's personal health, environmental impact and so forth. So inviting more people in, you're just having a wider impact on kind of the mission that brought us all here to begin with. So, you know, we've looked at things from a demographic standpoint. We've looked at categories, trends, everything like that. So cool. We got the data. What's the next step? Kim, let's let's go over to you. So, you know, we've talked a lot about demographics and identifying your community, but also going into these communities and find out what they need, what they're having trouble finding, really meeting your community where they're at. Also, you know, the objective is to bring in new shoppers Then you need to promote out of the store that you have this product and, and that invites them in. So it's the invitation piece of it. One of the keys to successful category management and product assortment are to look at top performers. However, category management shouldn't just stop there. Looking at national regional flavor and product trends will provide you with an array of excellent options. What is the rest of the industry doing? What are they showcasing? This information can be found with our spin partners, distributor, Interesting news at trade shows. You can feature up and coming BIPOC brands. Our brand feature of this month's podcast from A Dozen Cousins is a perfect example. Ibrahim from A Dozen Cousins is the founder of the Black-owned Healthy Ready-to-Eat Food. His company provides a wide range of convenient and nutritious products, and it also celebrates America's cultural diversity. In the brand's core, it aims to inspire families from all backgrounds to eat better food, live longer, and more vibrant lives. And, you know, I also have another great brand example is Bachans. That's uh, the savory Japanese sauce that we love. This was inspired by Justin Gill's grandmother. Its mission is to introduce people to Japanese culture by bringing families together at the dinner table. 
And then another great brand is Vista Hermosa. Founder Dario Wallos started by selling tacos out of his VW Boston, Mexico. And he started one of the fastest growing lines of tortilla chips, corn and flour tortillas and frozen burritos. Yeah, I just picked some of those frozen burritos up over the weekend. I haven't tried them yet, but I'll do that for lunch today. Oh, let me know how, how you like them. Yeah. I mean, to have one skew labeled like spicy chicken burrito, like that's a big thing. And, and you know, you guys talk about these flavors being exciting for everybody, right? Um, for one, it brings in people with authentic flavors, but there's those of us out there that like spicy foods. You know, even if we're here in Minnesota, that you know, we, we can get beyond the ketchup, um, get into spicy foods. So, you know, I'm excited to give that a try. Yeah. And it's, you know, and there's just so much fun you can have with it too. To your point of, you know, it can, it's for everybody. Really, you can put it as part of a solution, you know, set. Is it, you know, with kind of your staples, but are, you know, different sauces and things. You could have it be, you know, you can make a promotion about it of like Thursday night's international night and you've got a display with all the different products to like have, you know, a rotating global dinner. So you have a lot of foodies who are really into exploring and experimenting with different cultural recipes. So it meets their needs as well. I love international night recipes. There's so much that a store can do with that in creating a meal solution for your customers. End caps, recipes posted on social media. Yeah, exactly. You could have a hashtag and again, you could do, you know, fan favorites or make, you know, make a suggestion. I mean, what a great way to drive loyalty and engagement if people can submit their own recipes and then, you know, see it posted somewhere and really feel like they're part, you know, they're part of your community as well. Yeah, I think that's that's great, right? So we talked about also having the foods in the store to, to bring the people in, merchandising, you know, creating all of these meal solutions. That's great. So you're doing all this stuff in store. You've did the research. Your store's looking great. It's ready. How do we, you know, bring these folks in? Kim, you talk about meeting people where they're at. Um, can you guys kind of expand on that a little bit more? I think obviously you talked about like the in-store merchandising and meeting people where they're at is really a couple different things. Visit your competition. You can learn a lot from your competition. Review their end caps, their merchandising, their price, their product assortment. Look, see what your community is buying from your competition. And that is a great way to really learn, but then also invite those customers in. Social media is a really good way. You could use our monthly flyer, the themes calendar, the end cap planner to create that excitement and keep that invitation going. And ask people too, how do you like this? What where are you having trouble finding? What would you like to see? You can always be kind of building on that. You can start, you know, you can start with what's trending, um, but really start to have the conversation and develop the develop the relationship and let your shoppers also kind of influence what you do to to continue to evolve and expand what you're offering. I'm sure we all know that folks love to share their experiences or, you know, what they want, what they'd like to see. So um, just ask them. I'm sure you can get lots of information that way as well. I have to bring up the banana ketchup example. This one we talk about a lot. This was just basically an owner um, had a very large Filipino population in his community. However, he didn't have them shopping in his store. He did some research and he found out that Filipinos use a lot of banana ketchup on their meals from breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he brought in banana ketchup. He got to, you know, talk to his community, 
let them know. And honestly, his customer base changed. And it, and it was just that simple of just bringing in banana ketchup and inviting them into his store. Yeah, I think an invitation, right? That's that's sometimes all it takes to really get people engaged. I mean, how how many parties do you go to without being invited, right? You know, it's it's an inv- invitation is is a is a big thing. Um, and I think too, you know, you invite the community in. Obviously, you do you do the research. You entrench yourself within the community. Um, if there's other community events, things that you can be involved with to to really be a part of you know all of those interactions, I think that's great. And then when you have these people shopping in your stores as well. You know, it just invites those folks to to really feel a part of the, the greater community, you know, hiring folks that maybe you wouldn't have hired otherwise. It, it just opens up all of these opportunities. So I really appreciate both of you being here today to, to kind of provide some guidance and give some good tips on how to make stores more inclusive and really focus in on that. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Chris, I really loved Retail Talk this episode. I loved how Nina gave kind of this like macro marketing perspective. And then Kim brings it back around with like really specific like category, even down to like skew recommendations. Like the fact that she tells the banana ketchup story is I just think it's so like simple, but like poignant for everything there is to know about knowing your customer in grocery. Totally. And what I really loved how they kind of put it all together of like, here's how to be more inclusive. Here's how you can actually make it happen. But inclusivity also helps increase sales and bring more people in. And so I think just the whole engaging your community, meeting people where they're at was just an awesome conversation and using the data to back it up, right? I think is also what I really appreciated with that. Yeah, it was really great. And speaking of great, I am so excited about your interview with Ibrahim from A Dozen Cousins. I know I like to call it out when I am a particular like brand fan, but we are serious fans of A Dozen Cousins around my house. Um, we like bone broth and collagen and just having like an easy and convenient item on the sh- on you know in our pantry is amazing. But I have to say, my favorite part of this interview was he was so clear and concise about all of the decisions you have to make when you are bringing a brand to market. And I just loved that whole piece that he says, you know, he's got like those three things in his first. I mean, I remember he references like, you can't be the Cadillac of everything. And kind of like, I just had never heard anybody really break that down so simply. Like we care about price point and quality. So when we have those two pieces of prioritization, where does that leave us? And I just thought it was kind of a masterclass in like bringing a, a brand to market. No, I totally love that. And that's that's what helps, you know, create access to their product. And I have to say, I'm a fan too. We did cut the question, so it, we, we went a little long, but I love the Jamaican jerk chicken uh, marinade that they have along with the Caribbean coconut rice. Mm. It's amazing. And that's, I found to be his favorite. If he's going to introduce someone to the brand, that's what he introduces them with. Um, and I think he said is the one of the other Creole beans along with it, which makes a fantastic meal. So highly recommend Oh, I love that. It would bring me such joy to do a brand interview and find out that my favorite of someone's skew was also their favorite skew. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was in Whole Foods over the weekend looking for for one of the skews and I was like, well, my friend Ibrahim said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, that's cool. And you guys, it sounded like too in that interview that you were kind of right there at the beginning with him. And I, I feel, you know, I have a lot of love in my heart for some of the brands that I feel like I saw, like just you watch them grow, you know, you, you see them get yeah. their national legs and it's like, oh, I remember you when, but I'm also so happy to buy you everywhere, you know? <laughs> Yeah, definitely support, support where we can. 
Um, well, let's get into that interview. But first, we're going to hear from Paige and Ted Parker, owners of Vibrant Health, a BIPOC-owned brand, to tell their story. Hi, I'm Paige Parker. Hi, I'm Ted Parker. And we're the owners of Vibrant Health. We believe that health and wellness are essential for everyone. Our mission is to make high quality supplements accessible to everyone, no matter their background or financial situation. We understand that the supplement industry can be overwhelming with a dizzying array of products and claims. That's why we're committed to transparency and education. We want our customers to know exactly what they're putting in their bodies and how it can benefit them. That's why every Vibrant Health product has a full disclosure label. We list every ingredient by name and by dose, so you know exactly what you're getting in your supplements. But we're not just another supplement company. We're a Black-owned business, and we're proud of it. We're part of a long tradition of Black entrepreneurs who have overcome adversity and built successful businesses from the ground up. We know that representation matters. That's why we're dedicated to empowering our community through health and wellness. We believe that when we take care of ourselves, we're better equipped to take care of our families, our communities, and our world. So when you choose our supplements, you're not just investing in your own health. You're supporting a Black-owned business and helping us make a difference in the world. We're grateful for your trust and your support, and we're committed to earning it every day. Please follow us on social at Vibrant Health or at VibrantHealth.com. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here with Ibrahim Basir, founder and CEO of A Dozen Cousins, and founder and board member of Project Potluck, a networking nonprofit for people of color in CPG. Welcome, Ibrahim. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to talk with you. Likewise. So I want to know what were some of your first experiences working with retailers to gain adoption of a dozen cousins? Where did you find like early success? And was there a moment when you realized like, yes, this is really working? Yeah. You know, first of all, you know, kudos to all the natural independent retailers out there, because that's really where we started, you know, with Infra, NCG, and then eventually launching nationwide with Whole Foods. Those were kind of the biggest retailers that we had in year one. And I would say um, in particular, the national launch with Whole Foods was a great just symbolic moment for the brand, right? Obviously, they're a huge player in the natural channel. I think they gave us a level of prestige and, and legitimacy that many other retailers look to. And so that was definitely a big milestone of the brand's history. But the honest answer as a founder is like, you never really feel like this is working. You know, it's always it's all, you know, I'm, I mean, for me personally, I'm always in this blend of like, here are some things that I feel really great about. This stuff is working well. Here's some areas that I want to do better at. Let's play around with these things. And so it very much feels like this like living organism, you know, as a brand and as a business. I like that you brought up independence um, because one of the things that us as an organization, what independent retailers are really focusing on right now is creating access to natural and organic foods at an affordable price. And so for a brand, that's a pretty big priority for y'all as well. So I want to know, how do you balance um, both paying your staff fair wages, producing the high quality, healthy foods that's a part of your mission, and supporting the longevity of your company while also keeping your products accessible and affordable? Yeah, you know, ultimately for us, there's really three things that come to my mind when I think about like that balance that you're alluding to. You know, first and foremost is just making sure that we're designing the products well, right? And so, you know, to use the analogy, like you can't have the Cadillac version of everything, right? So if it's like you're leaning into the most premium packaging, the most premium spices, you're using them at a high percentage. If you, if you always take the most expensive choice at each step when it comes to product design, they're gonna end up with a really expensive product and it's hard to kind of get around that. So for me, it first starts with like, okay, what are the places that 
we want to lean in on and where are the places where, okay, this is good enough. You know what I mean? And and that that is true across the board. And so really understanding, okay, what, what consumers value, what they're willing to pay for, that's like step one. Step number two, honestly, is the channel strategy, right? Like different channels are able to charge different prices independent of what we are charging as a, as a brand, right? They, they're either taking a different margin, they're working with a distributor versus not working with a distributor. They're collecting freight versus requiring you to deliver, right? And so making sure our products are available in multiple different channels is actually another way for us to make sure that we have kind of different price points out in the market and that people can afford. And then the last one is just scale, right? And that's the journey probably that we're still on, which is, you know, the bigger you get, the more efficiencies you have, both in terms of purchasing ingredients, working with your manufacturing partners, and eventually being able to sell at a lower price. And so we just kind of focus on those three things and and, and do the best we can with. So one thing I, I wasn't going to bring up in this interview, but I see the, the uh, Black Panther box behind you. Um, when I was the category manager and you and I met with Amber when she was with you, I was, at least you told me I was one of the first category managers to to see the branding. And I was super excited, especially since it was on some of my favorite products of yours as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how that partnership came together? How did a small emerging brand like yourself get hooked up with Marvel and be able to partner on something like that? Yeah. First of all, thank you for the kind words. And you were absolutely one of the first people to see see this idea because uh, I remember our meeting was very shortly after we had like confirmed the contract. But, you know, started back 2018 when the first film came out, I was still like working on A Dozen Cousins pre-launch. And I just remember sitting in the movie theater and it was to this day, it was the most unique film going experience I've ever had in terms of seeing this kind of cast of black characters, superheroes representing obviously Africa and African diaspora. And I just saw you know, there was an element of representation that I had never experienced in, in film prior to that. And I remember making just the mental note to myself that, man, if there's ever a chance to work on a sequel or to do something with these guys in the future, like I'm going to do it. And so we literally just were monitoring the release date of Black Panther 2. And, and once it kind of got locked in for Q4 of 2022, we approached Disney's licensing team. We had the idea kind of scoped out, right? Because our, you know, we focus on Creole, Caribbean and Latin American food. So not actually, you know, African cuisine in its traditional sense. But a lot of the dishes that we make are definitely influenced by people of African descent, right? Either that migrated to Latin America or that were brought to the Caribbean as slaves or whatever the history is, that influence of West African cuisine is in a lot of our dishes. And so we thought the film would be a really fun way to highlight that, to bring it to life. And so, of course, we put the characters on our Jamaican jerk seasoning, on our Caribbean coconut rice. And then we actually did a limited edition jollof rice to just really honor classic West African cuisine as part of the film release. So um, it was a, definitely a career highlight for us so far. And, and to your point, I think as a small brand, it was even more impactful for us. That's awesome. So being the founder and board member of Project Potluck, how does it feel to be not only finding success with a dozen cousins, but also in helping others find success in their own endeavors? And I also want to know, what does the future look like for Project Potluck? Um, you know, first and foremost, it's an honor. You know, I uh, sit on the board alongside um, Arnulfo, who's the CEO of Alter Eco, and Asha, who is the founder and CEO of Mason Dixie Foods. And they have been, uh, you know, great partners in terms of conceptualizing and building out that organization. Uh, we also now have an executive director, Kathleen Casanova, who leads the project day to day. So I want to first just give credit to those people who all kind of are helping to to carry the load, right? Um, with that said, it feels great. You know, it feels great to be part of that organization. You know, when I started A Dozen Cousins, 
a lot of it was just around wanting to see the foods and the flavors and the people that I grew up with kind of celebrated on shelf and, and in our industry. And so in some ways, Project Pala feels like a very natural continuation of that same mission, right? Like I'm telling one specific story, which is a black kid who grew up in Brooklyn, ate a ton of Creole, Caribbean and Latin American foods. And I'm bringing that to life, but there's dozens, if not hundreds of other entrepreneurs and people working in the industry who have their own story, right? Whether that's through their own cuisine or their interaction of food or their passion about health and wellness. And so Project Pollock has been great because it creates an opportunity for those people to be able to tell their stories, to launch their businesses, to advance their careers in the same way that, you know, I've been blessed to do. In terms of the future of the organization, I expected to just see continued growth. You know, we're still serving a relatively small fraction of the overall market, right? And, and we won't stop and the mission won't be complete until our industry looks the same as the country at large, which is about half of the people in the U.S. identify as being a person of color. It only is right then that when you look at leadership teams, founders in our industry, that it, it looks the same way. No, that's awesome. So so if there's a uh, brand or someone listening that wants to be a part of Project Potluck, how do they get involved? Visit potluckcpg.org. There's an entry form or an intake form that you'll just complete your information. We have a, a mentorship program, so it's kind of filled on an ongoing basis, but I'm one of seeing do kind of annual cohorts, which you can submit your name to be paired with an industry leader. You can monitor the job board that we have on the site. Um, there's a ton of other resources, events, activities that you can tap into, but the starting point is definitely to visit potluckcpg.org. Awesome. So finally, to, to finish out, in just following you on LinkedIn and knowing about you, you're on a lot of boards. You're in a discussion panels all the time. You're on podcasts. You're in all of these other articles. So you're really out there lifting people up and you really work to elevate people of color in natural foods and everywhere else through a dozen cousins social impact grants, which is a phenomenal program that you guys put together. And I'm guessing you are no doubt role models for plenty of people within our industry and beyond. But I want to know when you were starting out, who did you look up to for inspiration and who is your role model? And maybe who is your role model? First of all, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. And, and you know, obviously I'm, I'm humbled by anyone who sees something in myself or the brand that they feel like they can they can emulate or take inspiration from. Um, I have many great mentors and role models. I'll shout out a few. One is John Foraker, who was my longtime, or who was the longtime CEO, rather, of Annie's. When that business was acquired by General Mills, I had a chance to go over and work on the Annie's business. And in many ways, I feel like John served as kind of like a, a CEO professor for me, even though he, he wasn't, you know, maybe actively trying to play that role. I just had a chance to watch him day in and day out in terms of how he led the team, how he managed the business, how he incorporated mission and values into the decisions that they were making on that business. And, you know, I, I took a lot of those lessons as I carried into a dozen cousins. John and I still speak every month. Right. And so I would definitely say he's someone who I would consider a role model and a sounding board today. The second person who I call out is actually Anton Vincent. So he's currently the president at uh, Mars Ridley in North America. And he used to be the president of the snacks division at General Mills when I was there, just coming up as like a very early career marketer. And, you know, very similar to John, I just kind of had a chance to watch Anton at work and then see the way that he led that team and led that division. He reached out to me even when he had no reason to just to like, hey, how's it going? You know, how, how how's the role starting out for you? Are there any ways that I can help? And, you know, now we're going on kind of 10 years of, of being, you know, in contact. And so I have a lot of love for him as well. So those are two that come top of mind. But of course, I have many, many more folks that have been, uh, you know, inspirational along the journey. Oh, that's great. 
So I'm going to throw another bonus question in, one that I didn't put on here. What is one question that you've never been asked that you really wanted to be able to talk about in an interview? First of all, that's a great question. I'll be honest, even if people don't ask me a question, I'll sometimes find some ways to slip in the things that I, that I want to talk about. So I'll do that here as well, which is, you know, something that I always like to just mention to people is the composition of our team. So, you know, 100% of our team today comes from a multi-ethnic or a minority background. 80% of our team is either Black or Latino. Something that I'm very proud of, you know, first and foremost, I hope our business is successful, but I also hope that we can serve as a case study of sorts in terms of the type of people and the type of leadership that can be successful in this industry. You know, I think a lot of times when people talk about a lack of diversity on their teams, you know, they've, they're like, well, is the talent out there? Can we find these people? Right. And so, you know, one of my goals is just number one, to prove that yes, the talent is there. We can build a great fast growing business, lean into diversity. I think secondly, it, it ends up being almost a competitive advantage for us as a cultural brand in the sense that whether we're talking about flavor development, marketing, packaging design, promotions, partnerships, like we're, we're speaking in the voice of the brand and in the voice of the consumer because that's who we are as a team. So um, that's something I'm very proud of and will, of course, take the opportunity to sprinkle in there. Oh, that's great. And and you guys do it well. And I think that really comes through in, in the products and in the flavor profiles and, and things like that. So I think that's fantastic. Well, thanks, Ibrahim. I appreciate you joining us today and I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thank you. Next episode, we'll be celebrating what it means to be independent in the natural foods industry on both the retailer and the brand side. And we'll be hearing from the Infra Board of Directors facilitated by Infra CEO, Pat Sheridan. So we hope you can join us next month. Well, folks, that's it for this episode of The Buyer's Desk. Thanks to Angela for co-hosting. And I appreciate the contributions from Infra staff, Infra members, and Infra vendors for helping to make this episode happen. I appreciate all of you who listened this far, and I hope to see you next month for another episode.